good to go? All right, so Lord, we thank you. We bless you as we come to you in Jesus' name through his blood. We thank you for an open heaven that your glory come. Lord, we ask you that in this time of the word of the Lord, let your precious Holy Spirit move upon this time. Anoint me, speak through me. Everything needs to be spoken under a strong anointing. Let it go out. Let your Holy Spirit move upon every person that's going to be hearing this. Lord, to be good, fertile soil. Your Holy Spirit move upon all of us and help us to have anointed eyes to see, anointed ears to hear, anointed hearts and minds to be good soil for what you're wanting to, to speak into our lives, Lord. I pray that everything that needs to be spoken would be spoken. It would go out into that good soil of lives that your Holy Spirit, the winds of your Spirit, will carry this everywhere it needs to go. And help us by the Holy Spirit to lock in and focus to give you our best, dear, our full attention that we're not distracted. There's not all these other things going on in our minds, but help us, Lord, to, to have a focus on what you're saying to us. And help us by the Holy Spirit to really get everything out of this we need to. And let your word go out, Lord, as a shining light of truth, dispelling the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy. Let your word be a mighty hammer that breaks down strongholds, that sword that penetrates where it needs to go. And, Lord, let, it, let there be the washing of the water of the word. Let this go forth in glory and power, strong anointing, and everything will be accomplished in and through this that your will to be done. Lord, we thank you for it and we bless you. And we agree together, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil, he must flee. Because the birds of the air try to steal seed. We bind up everything of the enemy that would try to hinder and distract and oppress in any way. We command to go right now in Jesus' name. Let your angels just clear that out. And Lord, this will be effective. And go forth and we stand on the promise. Your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we'll get into this tonight, a um, little bit deeper sermon for those that like the meat of the word and not just the milk. That's where I felt like God was coming from tonight with River of Life. He wanted us to get a little bit deeper. So I'm talking about the mysteries surrounding Passover. I think there's a lot of things that a lot of the church today doesn't know. Because one of the reasons is because of not understanding the Hebrew roots of the faith. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. The Apostle Peter talked about us being priests and living stones that build up a, a temple. And he talked about us offering up sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord. And most people, if you talk about a priest, they picture a Catholic priest, you see. But that is definitely, has absolutely nothing to do with what Peter was talking about. That thought would have never entered his mind as Roman Catholicism wasn't even invented till around 300 AD. So you have to go back and understand what the Bible's talking about with a priesthood and with a temple and sacrifices and all that to even understand what Peter's trying to say. So there's a lot of things, a lot of mindsets that are Western, and it's, it confuses things in the New Testament. So you have to understand the Old Testament to understand the New, and I think River of Life knows that. So with that said, uh, there's several things I'm going to cover tonight, but I just don't want to say this up front. I don't have time to go into a lot about it, but for example, one area of confusion 
is that many believe Jesus died on a Friday and then raised on a Sunday. Not only is that incorrect, it's not even possible. Uh, basic math will tell you he had to be in the tomb three days and three nights. So obviously that's completely wrong. So what happened that night, again, I don't have time to teach on it. I'm just going to give you kind of a quick synopsis. But the Passover meal Jesus had with his disciples would have been a Tuesday evening. That would have been that year when Passover fell. And the next day would have been Passover day on a Wednesday. Jesus was tried through the night, was beaten early Wednesday morning, and was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock Wednesday morning. Three hours later, think about how long this is, three hours of hanging on the cross. At noon, thick darkness came over. I believe that's when the sin of the world came on him. He cried out, why have you forsaken me? Because that sin caused him to feel a disconnect from the Father. And Jesus continued on the cross from noon till 3 o'clock. And what happened on that day of Passover was every morning and evening, you guys should know this because I've taught so much along these lines, but there's always the evening and the morning sacrifice. That had to be every day. So what would have happened that day on Passover, there had to be a Passover offering as well. Would have been that at 9 o'clock in the morning would have been the morning sacrifice. The 3 o'clock would have been moved to noon. Well, it's interesting. Right as Jesus was crying out, the evening sacrifice was happening. But they had to have the Passover sacrifice. You know when that happened? At 3 o'clock. Right when Jesus cried out, it is finished, the Passover lamb was being killed. Isn't that something? And so Jesus was taken off the cross Wednesday. Those that knew the word of God knew that the people were not supposed to be hung on a tree overnight because it defiled the land, according to the law of Moses. That's why they broke the legs of those that hadn't died. They wanted them off the tree. They didn't want to bring defilement during that holy time. So Jesus was wrapped and was buried in the tomb Wednesday night. He stayed from Wednesday night to Thursday night, day one, Thursday night to Friday night, day two, Friday night to Saturday night, day three. And he would have raised from the dead sometime um, after Saturday night, sometime that resurrection morning. So Sunday's correct. Sunday, resurrection day is correct. But that would have been what it looked like in a nutshell. Also, something interesting that a lot of people haven't studied this out, but it talked about at the beginning of Christ's ministry and then also another time at the end of his ministry. It says that he drove the money changers out of the temple with the whip. So we know this at least happened two times for sure. There's no debating that. It had to have been two different times. Because one was at the beginning, one at the end of his ministry. I personally believe probably every year of his ministry, all three years he did this, and I'll tell you why. If you study this, it was right before Passover. And isn't it interesting under the law, law of Moses that you had to purge the yeast out of your home? Zeal for Christ the father's house rather zeal in him for his father's house consumed him he was purging the yeast out of his father's house that's what he was doing you see by driving the money changers out. i believe probably he did that all three years but there's something about purging the yeast out that's very significant because we know yeast speaks of sin and i think that as christians i believe it's really important that we teach the children especially and i think there's something special about taking the children through and kind of purging the yeast out of your home and explaining to them how important it is 
to keep the sin out of your home because yeast speaks of sin. And they will always stay in the minds of people every year when they purge the yeast out that we keep the sin out of the home and keep our home pleasing to the Lord. All right. So these are some mysteries surrounding Passover. And I have several more I want to cover. But see, a lot of people don't know this because it's not taught widespread like it should be. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 10, I've got a lot of different scriptures I'm going to allude to. Some of them I'll read. But I encourage you to take the notes this week and read over these scriptures. Get your Bible out and read over like Genesis 15, Joshua chapter 5, Exodus 24, Exodus 14. I referenced several scriptures. I just encourage you because I'm just going to allude to them, but I encourage you to really read them this week and study this out. So let this be a point of reference that you do a Bible study. So 1 Corinthians 10, very common scripture for us that I refer to quite a bit in River of Life. Starting with verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Now the cloud is the glory. Isn't that something? So just think about something for a moment. Israel dwelled in the wilderness under the glory. And because of that continual abiding glory of the Lord, the Bible says their clothes, even their sandals, did not wear out. You know that's supernatural. When you're wandering through a wilderness for 40 years that your clothes and sandals don't wear out, that they had supernatural provision, man and water. They had supernatural protection. All of this was under the cloud. It said that they all passed through the sea. And look at this. They were all baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea. So that's referring, the cloud's referring to the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And the sea is water immersion. I'll tell you something. Here again, understanding the Hebrew roots, we desperately need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. We need it. But in many places, it's being neglected. If there's ever a time we needed to be clothed with power from on high, it is today. Amen? All right, in verse 3, And they all ate the same spiritual food, that's manna, isn't it interesting, Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. And he referred to the manna. And he talked about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. He was referring to communion. But isn't it interesting that Israel came out by the blood of the lamb, water immersion, they had spiritual food. It's, it's the same, it's a picture in type pointing to one day when Christ would come and that we all would be saved by the blood of the Lamb, there would be water immersion, there would be a baptism in the Holy Ghost, and that we would have the communion table. You see, all of this is pointing in the natural, it was pointing to something that we would have the reality of, the spiritual, the fullness of what God always intended would come upon us in these latter days. It says they drank from the same spiritual drink for they were all drinking from a spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And the way that Christ releases refreshing waters to us is by the washing of the water, the word, the, the word of God that cleanses, the word of God that nourishes us. But it's also, the Bible says, we're all given the same spirit to drink of. So it's by the word of God and the spirit of God that we are refreshed and strengthened in Christ. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased and they were laid low, meaning they died in the wilderness. Now these things happen as examples for us that we would not crave evil things as they craved. 
Do not be idolaters. Let me warn you, don't let anything in your life be an idol. I don't care what it is. It will bring the judgment of God. God is a jealous God. You know, I, I say this in love, and I, I believe that I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, in River of Life, but this goes out everywhere through the Internet. But God's not going to play our little hypocrite games. He's not going to play with you. One foot in the church, and then you've got another foot firmly planted in sin. God will never play your little hypocrite games. He'll electrify the fence, and he'll look you in the face and say, you choose who you're going to serve. It's either me or you go on your own way. I want your whole life or nothing at all. Figure it out. So we've got to get rid of all the idols. That is, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. They were playing the harlot when they danced around that golden calf, remember? Verse 8 nor let us act immorally. This is sexual immorality. Any sex outside of marriage between a husband and a wife is immorality according to the Bible. And let me say this too. There's a lot of opinions out there. But how many knows that only God's opinion matters? And God gave us his opinion in his book, the Bible. That's it. That ends all debates. The only sex that God says is okay is between a husband and wife in marriage. Debate ended the Bible says that. So some acted immorally, and 23,000 fell in a day. God brought judgment. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did. And let me tell you, God does, is not favorable about grumbling and complaining. I believe it's rooted in pride. Who are we to complain about anything as we don't even deserve to be saved, let alone ever have a need of ours met by him. Amen? That's just the truth. We don't deserve salvation. But in his grace and mercy, he has saved us, and he takes really good care of us, doesn't he? So every day we should be thankful. Paul said, in all things give thanks. And he wrote that when he was sitting in prison. And the prisons of Paul's day were not like the prisons today either. And Paul said to be thankful in all things. So nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. If you want destruction in your life, be a grumbler and a complainer. In verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And we know that Passover is a picture and type of our salvation. That Pharaoh is a picture and type of the devil. Egypt is a type of the world the taskmasters that oppressed God's people were the demonic and slavery was like being a slave to sin I mean you guys remember being a slave to sin but Jesus in his mercy saved us Israel was saved by the blood of the lamb just as we are today in Christ it pointed to the Messiah they were water immersed in Moses they were baptized in the cloud as we were baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then they had an encounter at Sinai, which I believe speaks of revival. How many knows that God has revival for his church? And also, Sinai is where the Word of God and the Spirit of God were given. I really can't get into this too long, but if you take that menorah, can you hand that to me real quick? Somebody just reach over there and grab it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. So the menorah is actually a picture and type in the Bible of like a tree. 
So when you look at the one, obviously this is just a replica, but when you look at the one, if somebody did a good job of replicating what Moses was supposed to make, it had a knop and a bud and a bowl, a knop, a bud and a bowl, a knop, a bud and a bowl. Three times three is nine. Here in the middle, it would have had that four times equaling 12. If you do the math from the middle over this way would be 39, and then this way would be 27, totaling 66. We have the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old, 27 of the New, 66 books of the Bible. It was prophetic that the Lord would give his people the Word of God. Not to mention the Word of God is what? A lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It was a light. So what's interesting that the knob and the bun, the bowl, is that this was like an almond tree. And in Israel, the almond tree is what buds first in the spring. It's very beautiful, a lot of blossoms, but um, and also Aaron's rod that budded, remember that? But anyway, it's an almond tree, but also at the same time, because of the oil, the olive oil, it's like an oil, olive tree rather. So this, in my opinion, represents God's family tree. And the root system, you can read in Romans 11 for yourself, 9, 10, 11, read those. But the root system, the nourishing sap of the root that comes is the covenant that God made with Abraham. And he, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being the patriarchs, they were like that root system, that initial covenant that was cut with Abraham. But out of that covenant with Abraham, there was always a promised Messiah that would come. Out of Abraham's loins came the nation of Israel. Out of, uh, you know, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had Judah. Out of the loins of Judah, eventually came King David. And from the lineage of David on to the New Testament time came the Messiah, Jesus. And he was this branch, this center branch that came up in the middle. And isn't it interesting, Jesus taught, I am the vine, you're the branches, you see. But Jesus was this center branch. God made a covenant with Abraham, the roots. But out of that root system sprung up the Messiah that would come, okay? He's that centerpiece. Everything pointed to the fact that he would come. And also, when you light the menorah, I'm sure that it was this way in the, the temple time, but it's diff, this way at Hanukkah, you guys know, the center branch always stays lit, the shamash, the servant branch. And from that fire, all the others are lit. And here's something else. The Bible talks about, during this time at Sinai, God gave Israel, his people, he gave the word of God, the initial Torah, the word. So God gives his family, the family tree, the word of God, and you see the word in this, don't you? But you also see the spirit. So at Sinai, God gave the word when he came down. But then all those years later, 1,500 years later, at Pentecost, the same feast that celebrated, God poured out his spirit. And so he, he gave his family tree. He gave his family his word and his spirit. And the Bible calls the Holy Spirit in Revelation, it says the seven spirits of God, but we know that there's not seven different Holy Spirits. What's that, what that is saying is, well, number one, seven speaks of perfection, 
okay? And some say completion. But seven here, look at this. The Holy Spirit in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord, so this centerpiece. Then you have the Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. The sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming. When the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, all seven branches are lit. He's coming like his sevenfold manifestation. I believe it speaks of the spirit of Elijah, but that's another sermon. But I want you to see that at Sinai, which I'm going to get into this here in a moment, God cut covenant with the nation of Israel. He became their God, and he gave them the word. And this became the initial family. I want you to see something, though. One more, one more revelation out of this. I'm talking about the mysteries surrounding Passover. Jesus is the centerpiece. Now, let's look at this in the fullness of time. Before Jesus came, let's look back in the old covenant time. Before he came, there would have been like two Jews to every one Gentile that was saved. Does this make sense? Then Jesus comes at the cross. And now on the other side of the cross, it seems like there's like two Gentiles for every one Jew. Isn't it also interesting that the unbelieving Jews on the other side of the cross were broken off and the believing Gentiles were engrafted in. But again, you have the branches. He is the vine where the branches, Jew and Gentile together, making up God's family tree. All right, and the last thing I'd say in passing and move on is that we know there's seven major feasts in the Bible. Passover was fulfilled when Christ died, unleavened bread when he was in the tomb, first fruits fulfilled when he raised from the dead, and then look, Pentecost has been fulfilled when he poured out his spirit. But we're looking for the Feast of Trumpets, the rapture. Then you have the days of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, and then the fullness, you have tabernacles when Christ comes again to reign with us. All right. God's family tree, does that make sense? So we're all in Christ, Jew and Gentile, in him. And down in the root system, you draw that nourishing sap from that, the understanding the Hebrew roots of the faith, which is a whole other sermon for another time. But God has given us as his family, he has given us both his word and his spirit. Now we're coming into Pentecost. We just got through Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Now we're in this time called the counting of the Omer. You count up to 50 until the day of Pentecost or in Hebrew, Shavuot. And we're going to have a conference at Pentecost. But you know what I'm believing for Pentecost? I'm believing that through these anointed men of God that are coming, they're going to bring a fresh word from the Lord. I believe they're not going to preach out of their mind or some kind of intellectual thing that they just, you know, read in the newspaper or Reader's Digest or whatever. They're not going to do something like that. No, they're going to pray and hear from God. And they're going to come in here and they're going to give us the actual word of the Lord, you see. And also, not only are they going to bring the word of the Lord, they're going to bring the power of the Holy Ghost in here. And so that's what Pentecost to me speaks of is God gave us his word and his spirit and when you bring the Spirit and the Word together, what happens? We grow up and mature in Him. This is what He's given us as His family. 
All right, so the power of covenant. I'm going to move quickly, a little bit more to go here. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, starting with verse 6, says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? See, you have to understand, or have to understand Passover to even understand these references. Picture somebody off the street out there that doesn't have a clue about Passover or anything, and you give them this and tell them to read this and explain it to you. Well, little leaven leavens the whole dough, doesn't it? They're not going to have one little bit of clue what you're talking about until they understand Passover speaks of purging the yeast out and having unleavened bread, which speaks of Christ's body, you see. So once people understand the Hebrew roots of the faith, then they understand the New Testament. You can't, you're not going to understand this without understanding uh, the old. You're just not. And so it says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. How many knows that God wants us to examine ourselves and to get all the leaven out of our lives, out of our homes, out of our families, out of the church? And I'm speaking of sin so that we can be pure like unleavened bread. You see, it's pure. Then that's what Paul's referring to. Clean out the old leaven so you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Let us, and he's speaking to a Gentile church. He says, okay, Corinthians, you celebrate the feast of Passover, but not with some old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying, I want you to keep the feast of Passover, but I want you to get the sin out of your church and out of your home. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the immoral people of the world or with covetous swindlers or with idolaters and those that are out in the world, but I wrote to you to not associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. So Paul is trying to use Passover here in the Corinthian church to teach them about getting the sin out of the camp in 1st Corinthians eleven twenty three, I'm going to talk about covenant in just a moment Paul said this for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you now understand you know a lot of times if you look this up and you google it or whatever you're going to find pictures big fluffy loaves of bread <laughs> and people don't understand here the last supper was a passover seder and so when we have communion throughout the year it, it, it is a way of keeping passover year round if you will we have the initial feast in the spring but as we take you know a lot of people i do a lot of you take communion every day but it's like you continue celebrating passover so to speak throughout the year and you're continually bringing your life and family under the blood of the lamb every day how many knows we need to apply the blood daily i believe that apply the blood fresh to our lives but paul was saying here jesus took um the bread he gave thanks and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me the bread he would have taken would have been that afikoman bread which you guys are familiar with at the beginning of the meal, it's broken. The big piece is wrapped, and it's hidden away. Think about it. Broken, wrapped, buried. 
then the children go search it out. You know, the Bible says these things were hidden from the wise and learned, but it's revealed to the babes. So the children find it, and they bring it. And then the promise of the Father, a gift is given to them because they found it. But Jesus took that bread, afikomen, and it, if I remember right, it's a Greek word, and it means he is coming. And nobody actually knows how this even got in the Seder, but how prophetic is this, okay? So Jesus held up that bread and blessed it, and he gave it to them and said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. It's Passover now. He's taking Passover bread. He's giving it to them. And then he says, as often as you eat of this and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, and then he took the cup. This was the cup after the meal. So it was the third cup. It's important because there's four in Passover. But it says after the meal, he took the cup. So he took that third cup, the cup of redemption. How prophetic is that? And he held it up and blessed it. And then he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Again, I'm reading this again. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's something about keeping communion that is helping us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. You see, he connects the communion table with looking for, anticipating, and being ready for his coming. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he must eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats or drinks, eats or drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body correctly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world so there is something very powerful about communion it's an awesome thing again i can't go off on a sermon on communion by itself because man i i preached a whole series communion hebrew roots i don't even remember how many sermons i did on that but the communion table is so awesome there's so much to it so let me just kind of move on from this but I want you to think, remember now, I'm talking about Passover. I'm talking about the communion table that came out of Passover. And I'm talking about covenant. So some of you that's been here for a while, you know some of these things I'm going to share. So just bear with me is there's people on the Internet that have never heard this before. So in ancient times in the Middle East, covenant was cut. It was very, very sacred and extremely serious. When you entered into a covenant with another person, it was for life and it was dead serious. So if two people were going to enter in covenant, they had to count the cost and think about this because basically you were saying to this person, if you're ever attacked by an enemy, me and my family will put on swords and we will go fight for you with your family to the death. If you ever go through hard times and your family doesn't have food, we will sacrificially give of our food to take care of you. It, it was serious. And... So here's what would happen. If two people were going to come in covenant, they would take an animal and they would cut this animal in half and separate the pieces. And so there was blood all over the ground. And they would walk like in a figure eight through the pieces like that. And this was the blood of the covenant. The word was always cut covenant, okay? 
And so they would take oaths. Many times they would, they would give each other garments or some type of an exchange as a sign of the covenant. What's mine is yours, yours is mine, that type of thing. But it was serious. It was sacred. And after they took some oaths and they exchanged some things, some, many times they would actually take something sharp and cut their hand and they would take like some soot and put it in there and it would leave a scar. That's why in the Middle East many times people would lift up their hand whenever they greeted somebody because they would see that and people would know. It's basically saying, you mess with me, I've got people that have my back, just so everybody knows. <laughs> you see? <laughs> anyway, so covenant was very serious. And we know, obviously, that was fulfilled um, in Christ. That was the ultimate covenant. But anyway, Abraham in Genesis 15, God had him take three large animals and then two birds, and he cut them and separated them, the two birds, one on each side. So there was four pieces on each side, blood in the middle. And God had Abraham walk on that bloody soil. And God cut covenant with Abraham. And he swore by himself that he will fulfill this covenant. And when God cut covenant with Abraham, he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And he gave him prophecies about what would happen. And it was interesting because in the midst of that blood, God sent two signs, if you will. And it looked like a smoking oven. And it looked like a torch that moved through the middle there over that blood. And the Bible says about Abraham that he fell into a deep sleep. You know what that was? The glory of God. He probably never experienced a glory like that. Remember me telling you over and over and over, how many times have y'all heard me say, the blood brings the glory, you see? But the glory came. Abraham just kind of melted in that glory. But God spoke to him of the future, gave him the covenant of circumcision, and then God revealed himself as a smoking pot and a torch. I believe, I've thought about this for a long time, you know the scripture says consider the kindness and the sternness of God in Romans remember that I believe the torch speaks of God's glory like the Shekinah that was over the tabernacle a pillar of fire tongues of fire on the heads of the apostles at Pentecost it's the Shekinah so it's like the kindness of God his presence what overshadowed Israel in the wilderness and protected them but I believe that smoking pot spoke of judgment it spoke of the sternness of God. And God revealed himself that way to Abraham. So this is where covenant was cut. You have to understand covenant. Because once you enter into a covenant, your enemies become their enemies. So basically, God promises us through the covenant he cut with us at Calvary that he's going to be faithful to his end of the covenant, but he expects us to be faithful to our end of the covenant. And he will be an enemy to our enemies. And he will take care of us. But after that covenant is cut, people walk through the bloody soil. They take oaths. They exchange things. They will sit down and have a meal. It's usually a very basic meal during this time, like, for example, the fruit of the vine and bread. But they would have a meal. That's important. Because that meal was basically sealing the deal. Isn't it interesting that... Jesus gave us communion out of Passover and he said basically this is like a covenant meal 
Every time you eat of this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What was, what was fulfilled at the death? It's covenant, you see. It's a covenant meal. And then Joshua, we know that um, Brit Mila is just the, the covenant of circumcision. But Joshua, once Israel went through the wilderness time, and they got, Moses died, God spoke to Joshua, rise up, take the sons of Israel into the promised land. All those that were supposed to die in the wilderness are dead. Joshua has to circumcise all the men because they weren't in the wilderness, showing the rebellion of that nation. And so Joshua circumcises all of them at Gilgal. And then what does it say? They celebrate Passover. Joshua chapter 5. So right before Joshua was going to take them into spiritual warfare. And Israel was going to face some of the greatest battles they've ever faced. Hear what I'm saying. Remember Abraham walked bloody soil. God gave him the covenant of what? Circumcision. There would have been a covenant meal at the end of that. Joshua is circumcising the nation. God says, I, repro I re roll off of you the reproach of Egypt today. They sit down and have Passover, a covenant meal. They come under the blood of the lamb. And out of that, Jericho's walls fell. Israel went in and began to conquer enemies that were sovereign and supernatural. God was with them. Years later, Moses comes on the scene. Israel is, uh, I'm sorry, going back in time. I'm going out of order. I apologize. Years before that, another example. Moses comes on the scene. Israel was still in Egypt. And Abraham, God told Abraham that surely these people will be slaves all these years, but I will deliver them out, okay? So Moses comes on the scene. What does he do? He brings Israel to a place where they were at Sinai. So I've already talked about they came out through the blood of the lamb, water immersion, but they're at Sinai. Read this when you get home. It's an amazing story, Exodus 24. But Moses builds 12 altars there at Sinai, the mountain where God came down. And Moses had animals offered as sacrifices on these 12 altars, speaking of the 12 tribes of Israel. He took blood and poured it out, but he took some of the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. What happened here? Covenant was being cut. Do you see? And so Israel as a nation entered into covenant with God. Exchanges were made. God told them, you know, I'm giving you my word. They promised that they would keep the word, which they didn't, we all know. But Moses and Joshua, Aaron, his sons, 70 elders, this is in the Bible. They went up the mountain, and it says in the Bible, read it for yourself, that they saw God, they ate and drank, and God did not smite them. But it's interesting because what happened here? Covenant was cut at the foot of the mountain. Blood was sprinkled on them. They had entered a covenant. And now they had to eat that covenant meal to seal the deal. And so God allowed the leadership to go up. They saw God, which I believe was a pre-incarnate Christ. They saw him. They ate and drank in his presence. And the covenant was sealed at that meal. Y'all follow me tonight. 
We're talking about mysteries of Passover, some deeper things. A few more things I want to cover tonight. All right, crossing the Red Sea, Exodus 14. Going out of order some with a timeline here. But I mainly want you to see the covenant and the covenant meal that we have. I personally believe there's something very powerful when we keep Passover. Because we keep it in a way that we remember the Exodus, but we see it through the fullness of Christ, the Messiah. And we see his body. We see the bloody shed. We see him as the Lamb of God. We see his blood being applied to our lives. And I believe as we eat of that covenant meal in the presence of God, there's something very powerful about that. I believe your home becomes, in your church, becomes like an altar and God's glory comes. It's powerful. So crossing the Red Sea, we all know certain things about this that we've heard. It's kind of like the story of David and Goliath. We all know Moses held up the rod, the waters parted, Israel went through, the Egyptian army drowned. We all know that part, right? So I'm going to talk to you about stuff that maybe you haven't thought about, okay? Did you know that throughout that night, that darkness got in between Israel and the Egyptian army? Did you know that? Something separated Israel from the Egyptian army for a long period of time. A lot of people never even read that and really thought about it. Read the story again, Exodus 14. Through the night... The waters parted. Wind was blowing on it to dry it out. While that was happening for hours, some kind of a darkness separated Israel from the Egyptian army. It was like time froze or something. But Egypt couldn't get to them until God was finished drying out the ground. Isn't that something? And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord was in front of Israel, but went behind the nation and got in between them in the Egyptian army just to make sure that Pharaoh and his boys weren't going to try any funny business. And something else that's awesome, and I, I read this and it really made me stop and think about it, but whenever Israel crossed through, a picture in your mind what's really going on here. Because, you know, we think about they crossed the Red Sea. They were being baptized. You understand that? While they were being water baptized into Moses going through like this, the Bible says that God from, from heaven was looking down and he saw the Egyptian army coming. He looked down through like that glory. See, here's the thing. You guys will understand this in River of Life. There can be an open heaven where God's looking down through that open heaven down. You see what I'm saying? He was looking down through it like an open heaven over the nation of Israel. Looked down through there and he saw the Egyptian army pursuing and he caused their wheels to come off their chariots. That would have been a sight to behold. And while they're struggling because their wheels are coming off their chariots, while they're struggling, Israel's finishing getting to the other side and we know the waters come down and destroy the enemy and i've taught you guys enough about water immersion you know how it separates you it destroys your enemies pursuing you and it separates you from your past from your egypt okay 
there is a power in water baptism. And it's interesting because we always have a deep consecration time twice a year. I felt God lead me to do this. We have a season of 14 days. We pray and fast before Passover and then before the fall feast. Anyway, we come together for that service, a deep consecration service, or we're going to take communion together in a special way. My wife and I anoint everybody with oil. We pray over you and believe for a deep consecration. And then those that want to come can come get water immersed. So everybody came out this year. You know, how many of you guys felt the presence of the Lord in that water? I mean, I, I heard this over and over. I was water immersing people, and I'd hear people like, whoa, you know, like that. You know, man, the presence of God was awesome. But what's happening? Just like Israel, your enemies are being destroyed and cleared off behind you. That's what's happening, see? You're, you're being separated from things that are trying to follow you into your future. And the glory of God protected Israel in the wilderness, which I've already mentioned. But did you know that it's commonly taught by Hebrew scholars that there were three major miracles that happened in the wilderness? And they're connected to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. They're connected to those three. Now, to hear what I'm going to say, I think that there's something to this. They say that it's called Miriam's well by the Hebrew scholars. Did you know that the mother of Jesus, her name in Hebrew would have actually been Miriam? Did you know that? Yeah. So they call it Miriam's well. And after she died, it is said that the waters dried up and Moses had to cry out again. So they kind of associate the waters in the wilderness with Miriam. But isn't it interesting that Paul said that that rock was Christ? And then number two, they associate the glory, the Shekinah glory that was with Israel in the wilderness. You remember how the Bible said that that glory would be over the tabernacle and how it would go up in the air, the pillar of fire by night or the cloud by day, probably the cloud by day, would go up and Israel would see it ascend up and it would hover way up there, and they would know, well, it's time to pack up. We've got to follow the glory. So they all began to pack up, and there was a certain way that they went. Those that went through the Bible study with me, you remember this, okay? Certain tribes went first and all that. But they would follow the glory. And where the glory stopped, they would build the tabernacle there. The glory would come back on it, and then they would set up around the tabernacle in order that God told them to. But they associate the glory with Aaron. They said after Aaron died that the glory of God diminished some. And that's why the enemy, I believe it was the Malachites, but the enemy came in and attacked them because they were more vulnerable because of the glory dissipating some, just lightening up some. Let's understand what Hebrew scholars teach. And they also believe that the manna that followed them in the wilderness that would fall on the ground every morning they believed that that was associated with Moses. And after Moses died, we know Joshua took Israel into the promised land. They ate of the land, the manna ceased. So it's interesting, isn't it? But during the wilderness time, nonetheless, the glory of the Lord was over Israel like a canopy of protection. And because of that glory, it protected them from all their enemies. It brought them supernatural provision 
God was with them in a very supernatural way. And the last thing I want to talk about, remember Jesus said, proclaim his death till he comes. All right. This is the last thing. Again, bear with me because many of you are very familiar with some of these things because I teach on them regularly. But the marriage supper. All right. I'm going to read this and I'll explain it and then we'll close with this. Matthew 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven. Now remember, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me till I come. You proclaim my death until I come. So out of this covenant meal, we're somehow being kept prepared for the coming of the Lord. Because think about what we're doing at, at communion, when we take communion together. We're purging the yeast out, aren't we? We're taking time to say, Lord, if there's anything in me, forgive me. I repent. I forgive everybody I need to forgive. And you mean it from your heart. You don't have unforgiveness. And you confess and repent of any sin. You're purging the yeast out, you see. And then you're able to take communion. But what's happening is, is you keep, you keep the yeast purged out. And you keep your life under the blood. And because of that, the presence of the Lord, the glory is strong where the blood is reverenced like that. It's a preparation for the coming of the Lord, that God's keeping us ready without spot or blemish. Anyway, it'll make more sense here in just a moment. The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins. I want you to notice they were all ten virgins. It wasn't five virgins and five harlots. They were all ten God's people. You understand? He said they took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. They all had lamps, which speak of prayer. All right, five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took the lamps, they took no extra oil with them. But the wise, the prudent, took oil and flask along with their lamps, so they had extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all got drowsy. I want you to notice they all got drowsy. I'm concerned about this because we're living in a time when today, more than any other time, we need to be alert. We need to really be spiritually awake. Did you know in the Bible, sleeping has to do with prayerlessness? Did you know that? That's why over and over in the Bible, you see this symbolism. Jesus said, couldn't you tarry with me one hour? What were they doing? Sleeping. What does the Bible say about watchmen? That they're prayer warriors, basically. Watchmen, what do they do? They stay awake through the night, you see. So there's something about prayerlessness that's sleeping and being in prayer that's being awake. In Isaiah, it says, awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. So when we're awake and we're praying, we're being clothed with strength. And Jesus warned the disciples. He said, your flesh is weak. Your spirit's willing, your flesh is weak. You need to get up and pray. What were they doing? They kept getting drowsy and going to sleep. To their defense, I don't think any of us can really understand the level of spiritual warfare that was going on that night. You know as well as I do that the devil himself and his strongest demonic forces were there coming against the Lord. You know that. So, you know, we all look at them and say, well, they were asleep. Well, you know, there was a lot going on oppressing them too, I'm sure. But anyway, they were falling asleep. So everybody got drowsy. And let me just say this, guys. Listen, here we are in the latter days. Thick darkness is coming on the earth. 
This is not the time to be going to sleep. This is the time to be praying like we've never prayed before. And it says at midnight there was a shout. Behold the bridegroom come to me, come out to meet him. So behold the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose. They trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said to the wise, the prudent, Hey, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there's not going to be enough for us and you too. Instead, you go to those who sell oil and get some for yourselves. And while they were gone to purchase oil, the bridegroom came like a thief in the night, right? And those who were ready to meet him went to what? The wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came. Lord, Lord, they're crying out to him. You forgot us. The others are gone. They're crying out. They're beating on heaven's door. You know, Lord. And he answered them, truly I say to you, I do, I do not know you. And Jesus said, be on the alert for you. Do not know the day nor the hour that the Lord's coming. So I believe that this covenant meal that we have that comes out of Passover is helping us to stay alert and ready for the coming of the Lord. So let me say this real quick. I'm going to give kind of the short version of this. But the ancient um, marriage ceremony that took place during Jesus' time, this is what he's talking about. You can't understand this unless you understand the Hebrew roots. A young man would go to the well where the young virgins were. He would find a young lady that he was interested in. He would go to her father. They would have to barter for a price. He had to pay a price called a dowry. When the, her father and him came to an agreement, the price was set, the price was paid. She came in and she was given the opportunity to say, no, she doesn't want to marry him. But they would set, listen, they would set a cup of the fruit of the vine on the table. If she agreed to marry him, she would drink of that cup. I believe that that is the communion cup, you see. And even those that have seen the movie, Hollywood did this movie called The Nativity. You can see this was going on. She came in, there was a cup of the fruit of the vine there. She had to drink of it to agree to this. Anyway, after she agreed, the price had been paid. He, would, he said, okay, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He could be gone up to two years, but he would go to his father's house and build a bridal chamber he would prepare a place here's the interesting thing jesus said in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would tell you but he said yet i'm going to prepare a place he's not going to prepare mansions he's going to prepare a wedding feast a place a bridal chamber that's what he's doing so this young man would go prepare the bridal chamber after however long it took his father his father would have to approve it. That's interesting. No man knows the day nor the hour, but the father, his father would go in and say, son, it's time, go get her. Anyway, so him and his friends would go. They'd be blasting the shofar, shouting, behold, the bridegroom comes. Everybody knew what was going on. People would rejoice, but he would come in the middle of the night and he would snatch her away. But here's what she had to do. From the moment she drank that cup, she had to remain pure for him. And she would begin to wear a veil over her face, which was like an engagement ring. 
where everybody that would come to the well, the other young men would see all the virgins out there and they would see, well, that one has a veil, that one has a veil, that one has a veil. They're off limits. They're spoken for. They belong to someone else, you see. She would begin to wear a veil. She had to keep herself pure, unspotted. And at night when she would go to bed, she would always be thinking, my bridegroom could come tonight. And she always kept a flask of extra oil there because what if he came at 2 or 3 in the morning? Her lamp would burn out. She needed extra oil to dump in there to be ready to go, you see. And so he would come in the middle of the night, shofar blasting. This was historically the way it happened. Isn't it interesting? Because in Corinthians, it says that the Lord will come. There'll be the shout of the archangel, the blast of the shofar. Suddenly, like a thief in the night, we'll be caught up. So anyway, he would snatch her away, take her to the place where there'd be a wedding, exchanging of vows, consummate their marriage, there was a wedding feast that they would go to. But that's what this is speaking of. And I believe whenever we take this communion table, this covenant meal, that if we will take it correctly, I believe that it will cause health. It will cause protection in our lives. It will help strengthen us. Isn't it interesting, I close with this, that in the tabernacle of Moses, when you went into the holy place, there was a table of showbread. And in the Hebrew, look, there was the fruit of the vine was there, and then there were 12 loaves of unleavened bread. And in Hebrew, it was called lechem, panim. Panav is face. Im is just plural. It means the bread of faces because it was before the veil right there. It was right in the presence of God. And it was believed as you ate of that, you were, it was like a face-to-face. -face. So in English, when you read it, it'll translate bread of presence, the bread of God's presence. You'll see this here in a moment. I'll show you something. But isn't it interesting that that was right there in the tabernacle of Moses, that before the veil, there was a communion table. You see? I believe it has something to do with your journey into the presence of the glory, because that veil's been ripped now, the communion table helps you to really get into the glory. Also, Jesus, after he died and rose on first fruits, he raised from the dead on the feast of first fruits that day. That, remember, Mary, the women went there, he saw them, and he said, Go tell my brethren, you know, I've risen, etc. Anyway, when Jesus um, had appeared to those women, the Bible says that he appeared to like 500 people throughout the course of the counting of the Omer. But do you remember this story? I encourage you to read Luke 24, 13 through 15 as well. The road to Emmaus. You remember that story? Jesus appears to a couple of disciples. And they were, they were disturbed. And he said, well, what's bothering you? And the disciples were saying, well, I mean, are you just visiting or something? He said, look, Jesus of Nazareth was, you know, crucified. We believed he was the Messiah. And Jesus himself, they did not recognize who he was. This is an interesting thing. He's walking with them, and they're complaining that Jesus died, and Jesus is walking with them. He didn't, you know, reveal himself to them. But anyway, they're walking with him, and Jesus begins to give them from Moses all the way through, he begins to teach them the scriptures, how the Messiah had to suffer and die. And he began to explain to them all the things leading up to why the Messiah died, etc. 
And they said, later, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was teaching us? But listen, whenever the disciples, Jesus was going to walk off and they urged him to stay with them, I wonder right there if there's not a revelation about that alone. Sometimes the Lord, his presence will begin to, what if we urge him to stay, you see? But anyway, they urged him to stay. Jesus goes in with them. This is during, right after first fruits, right after this time. There was no leaven, understand? Israel had purged the leaven during the seasons. This makes sense. You follow me? So Jesus was in a house with them. He blessed bread. It would have been unleavened bread. He broke it. And when he gave it to them, what does it say? It says they recognized him. Are you seeing this? The bread of presence. Lechem panim, the bread of faces, face to face. Revelation. I believe that there's something about the communion table that brings divine revelation. And it's interesting because Hebrews says that the veil was ripped and the veil was his flesh. Speaking of Jesus' flesh, he compared it to his flesh. I wonder when we take something that represents the Lord's body and blood, it represents his flesh, and we eat of that and it goes into our body and blood, how much that helps us to get past any type of veil and into the glory, you see? You see, we all have veils of our own, our own flesh, our, our own distractions, things in our lives that hinder us. Um, maybe religious veils, things that we've been taught, traditions of men. Does this make sense? We all have these veils. But I believe the communion table helps to reveal Christ and remove veils so we can get deeper in the glory, deeper in him. And the last couple things I would say is this. The communion table is the table in the presence of our enemies. Because the enemy can't do anything about it. It was already paid for at Calvary. It's finished. You understand? It's finished. When we, when we take communion, we're, we're celebrating something that's already, a victory already won. The enemy can only look on in disgust because he's already been defeated. You see? And David's mighty men, when they were weary in battle, they went to the priest at Nob. And the priest said, well, all we have is the consecrated bread on the table of showbread, that bread. Have your men kept themselves pure? And David said they have, so he gave them that bread. It provided strength for the battle. And so I believe that this covenant meal that God's given us, the mysteries of Passover, helps prepare us for the coming of the Lord. What does the Bible say? It's a table in the presence of our enemies what with, where our heads are anointed with oil and our cups overflow. And what does the Bible say in Matthew 25? The wise virgins had extra oil. Could it be that there's a connection here to the communion table and extra oil, fresh oil? I need to close, but it's just, there's just so much to this. You know, I mean, you can get revelation upon revelation. Get, it's just, it's so awesome. You know what's amazing? The Bible was written by multiple men over several years. But there's a beautiful continuity from the beginning to the end that only God could supernaturally do. Because even in the book of Revelation, John's given revelation. And he saw the Lord there among the lampstands. That's the tabernacle. Remember that? 
And if you were to look at it at the tabernacle like a man, the left hand, you know, the head at the Holy of Holies, the left hand would be at Passover, the communion table, the table of showbread. That's, if somebody has a heart condition, it is in the left. You feel that pain in the left. But it's like the left hand, but then the right hand is at the lampstand. The right hand always speaks of power. In Revelation, he said, if you neglect your first love, and that's translated supreme love feast, that's the communion table. He said, I'll remove your lampstand. That's the anointing and the power in the Revelation. So there's something there even in Revelation. You seeing how this goes from Genesis? We, we, tonight, we were in Genesis. We went through Torah, we went through New Testament, all the way now to the book of Revelation, that there's a beautiful continuity through all of it that paints a picture of our God is a covenant-keeping God. He cut covenant with us at Calvary. We are a part of his family tree. He's given us his word and his spirit, and we have the blood of the covenant in our lives today, and a covenant meal that Christ has given us. Jesus was, was finishing his prophetic role. He was moving into his priestly role. And in that priestly role, he gives us that priestly meal that we can take. And one of these days, right now, he's in the role of a priest, ever living to make intercession. He came as a prophet. He is a high priest right now. But he will also come as the king of kings and lord of all lords, meaning when he comes to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, he will be the king over all other kings. The Lord over all, all the kingdoms of this world will crumble before him and he will have dominion over the earth for a thousand years. So he's the great prophet, the great priest, and the great king. And we have the honor to be in a blood covenant with him. So Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the mystery surrounding Passover. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much, Lord. I pray that this will get in us. Help us to understand your faithfulness, Lord. You are so faithful when you cut covenant with us and we enter into a covenant. We don't have to be afraid about all these other things that happen. You knew when we went in this covenant, we would have our struggles, we would have our battles, we would have our ups and downs. But no matter what, Lord, you are faithful to your end of the covenant, Lord. And we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit, giving us your word that you've allowed us to be a part of your family tree. And we're established in the blood covenant that was cut at Calvary. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As I was going through this tonight, the neat thing, can you just play some music? The neat thing is because of the years of preaching on different things, it was like you guys already knew a lot of this, but it just 